0: If you would turn with me in your Bibles or on your device to Ecclesiastes chapter 8. Ecclesiastes chapter 8. And this morning, uh, we're going to go ahead and jump right into the text. And so I'd ask you to to go ahead once you're there uh, and stand in honor of God's word if you are able. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine, and the hardness of his face is changed. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. For there is a time and a way for everything, although man's trouble lies heavy on him. For he does not know what is to be, for for who can tell him how it will be? No man has power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. All this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun when man had power over man to his hurt. When I saw the wicked, then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before him. But it will not be well with the wicked, neither will he prolong his days like a shadow because he does not fear before God. There is a vanity that takes place on earth that there are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked, and there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. I said that this also is vanity. And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on earth, how neither day nor night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw all the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun." However much a man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out. Even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. The grass withers and the flowers fall, but the word of our Lord endures forever. Let's thank the Lord and ask for his help this morning. Our God and our Father, we thank you for this word that you have inspired, that you have kept, that you have appointed in these moments to be read to your people. And so now... Holy Spirit, I pray that you would allow the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart to be pleasing to you, my rock and my redeemer. Oh Lord, help us to humble ourselves before your word and before you. Let us be changed into the very image of Christ as a result of being in your presence and hearing what you have to say to us. Change our hearts, oh Lord, we ask expectantly in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. John Lennox is a mathematician and a philosopher uh, who is is professor emeritus at Oxford University in England. And he also belongs to Jesus. He's written many books, and one of those books, uh, God's Undertaker, he gives an analogy to help us see the limitations of science. So he says, Uh, Aunt Matilda has made a beautiful cake. Aunt Matilda's made a beautiful cake, and we take it to be analyzed by a group of the world's top scientists. So the nutrition scientists are equipped to tell us the number of calories in the cake and its nutritional value to us. Biochemists can tell us about the, the structure of the proteins and the fats in the cake physicists are able to analyze the cake in terms of its fundamental particles mathematicians can demonstrate how those particles behave in a series of equations so we've been given a a scientific account of how the cake was made and how its various ingredients work together relate to each other but what if we ask the experts one final question why was the cake made all the scientists in the world will not be able to answer that question. The only way we will ever know the answer to that question is if Aunt Matilda tells us. If she doesn't disclose the answer to us, the plain fact is that no amount of scientific analysis will enlighten us. Science is wonderful at helping us to learn so many things. I'm so grateful for scientific advancement in all the ways that it has improved our lives. Namely on this Lord's Day, I am thankful that science has allowed some people that I haven't seen for a year to come back into our worship service earlier this morning. Science is wonderful. And it's a valuable tool that God has given to us. And yet science has limitations. In Ecclesiastes 8, verse 1, the preacher reiterates the main idea that we drew out from chapters 7 and 9 and 10 last week. In order to navigate and enjoy life here under the sun, we need wisdom. Ecclesiastes 8, 1. Who is like the wise? And who knows the interpretation of a thing? A man's wisdom makes his face shine. And the hardness of his face is changed. Wisdom is wonderful. Biblical wisdom is a wonderful thing. It helps us to to navigate life and to enjoy life to God's glory. Wisdom improves our lives in so many ways. We know that from God's word and we know it from our experience. But like science, wisdom has limitations. Verse 16 and 17. When I applied my heart to know wisdom and to see the business that is done on the earth, how neither day or night do one's eyes sleep, then I saw the work of God, that man cannot find out the work that is done under the sun. However much man may toil in seeking, he will not find it out, even though a wise man claims to know, he cannot find it out. Even though the preacher applied his heart to know wisdom and calls us to imitate him in pursuing wisdom in our perspective and in our character, in our lifestyle, in our work, in our speech. He's also honest about the limitations of wisdom. There are some questions that even wisdom can't answer. There are some realities that even biblical wisdom can't explain. We often ask the question, What is God doing? How many of you have asked that over the last 12 months? What is God doing? And wisdom doesn't answer that question. Only God's self-revelation can answer that question. And there are many things that God Almighty has chosen not to tell us. Deuteronomy 29.29 says, The secret things belong to the Lord, but the things He has revealed to us and to our children forever, that we may do all the words of His law. Even the wisest human beings who have ever lived, those who spend their lives seeking after wisdom and knowledge, do not get all the answers they're looking for. Like the preacher, They find that life is fleeting and finite. That a lot of the time, meaning of events in life is elusive and our efforts feel like vanity and a striving after wins. As if to to demonstrate for us the limitations of wisdom, the preacher makes a, a series of frustrating observations that even his superior wisdom can't explain. Remember at the very beginning of this book, both the writer of the book and the preacher said that he was wise beyond the wisdom of those who have gone before him. But even in his superior wisdom, he can't explain what he observes. He says, we have troubles that affect our ability to enjoy our lives. Verse six, for there is a time and a way for everything. Although man's trouble lies heavy on him. You ever feel that way that the troubles that you experience the the worries the concerns the difficulties the decisions lie heavy on you for Christmas uh, we got something Shannon and I got something that has gone on our bed and it's called a weighted blanket I'm not entirely convinced of why anyone would have invented or wanted this thing Uh, And yet, I must confess that over time, I have actually come to appreciate it, and perhaps even one day I will like it. But the first time I laid under this weighted blanket, I felt as if I were being smothered or buried. It was laying heavy on me, and I did not like it. This life With its troubles and its concerns, ever feel like that to you? And we ask, why does it have to be that way? He says, we can't know the future. Verse 7 For he does not know what is to be, for who can tell him how it will be? Wouldn't it be so nice to know what's going to happen? Wouldn't it be easier to make decisions and to navigate life better if we just knew what was around the next corner wouldn't it be great for us to know the exact date that we will finally move past this pandemic can't wait for that but we can't know we won't know what is going to happen why does it have to be like that the preacher says we can't avoid death Verse 8, no man has the power to retain the spirit or power over the day of death. There is no discharge from war, nor will wickedness deliver those who are given to it. Now, we have said a lot about death in this series, and so I'm not going to belabor this point. But what he's saying, using the analogy of war, is that death is inescapable and that there is no power available to us. There is no evil scheme available to us that will allow us to escape the inevitable, our death. And I'll remind us of the Latin phrase that we learned or were reminded of last week, memento mori. And I'll also remind us that that what the preacher tells us is that memento mori, remember that you will die, is actually the way to carpe diem, seize the day. The preacher says, power is misused to hurt people. Verse 9, all this I observed while applying my heart to all that is done under the sun, when man had power over man to his hurt. A couple of Sundays ago, we talked about how uh, in our culture, there is a a movement uh, to define everything in terms of power dynamics ultimately, those who have power are seen as automatically bad, and, and, and those uh, who don't have power are seen as automatically good. And so you have two categories of people, the oppressor and the oppressed. And we said that relationship to power alone can't make a person righteous, and it can't make a person unrighteous or wicked. But we did say that That those with power do have a responsibility to those who are without power. Jesus said, To whom much is given, much will be required. Here's the problem everyone, whether you have power or whether you don't have power, everyone is a sinner. And when a sinner has great power, he can do great damage to other sinners. And we see this throughout the Bible from Pharaoh to Nebuchadnezzar to Ahab to Herod to Caesar. And we see it throughout history right up to the present. We see what the preacher laments so many thousands of years ago, that man has power over man to his hurt. And it's a sword that cuts both ways because the one in power can absolutely hurt the person who doesn't have power. But in doing so, the person with power actually also hurts themselves, whether they're aware of it or not. The preacher says the wicked make a show of religion. Verse 10, Then I saw the wicked buried. They used to go in and out of the holy place and were praised in the city where they had done such things. This also is vanity. I want to be clear here that the wicked does not refer to secular, sinful people, but to religious, self-righteous people. What were they doing? They were performing their religious show before others so that they could be seen and praised. And this reminds me of the wicked religious leaders in Jesus' day, about whom he said, Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. They have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your Father who is in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. It's Matthew 6, verses 1 through 6. Two questions come to mind as we think about how the wicked make a show of religion. First, am I among the self-righteous hypocrites who perform religious activities to be seen and praised by others? Am I among the hypocrites who perform religious activities and duties to be seen and praised by others? And two, why? Why does God let these hypocrites make a bad name for His church among our neighbors? The preacher says justice is delayed in verse 11 because the sentence against an evil deed is not executed speedily and that evil thrives. Justice is delayed and evil thrives. The heart of the children of man is fully set to do evil. He says that evil people prosper and good people suffer. We see that in verses 12 and 14. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, There is a vanity that takes place on earth. There are righteous people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the wicked. This is where we get our saying, no good deed goes what? Unpunished. And there are wicked people to whom it happens according to the deeds of the righteous. This is why the prophet Jeremiah cries out in his book, why does the way of the wicked prosper? So if you have ever asked that, You are in good company. Human wisdom here under the sun does not tell us why we have troubles that lie heavy on us. Why we can't know the future. Why death is inescapable. Why power is misused to hurt people. Why hypocrites get away with using religion for their own gain. Why justice is delayed and evil thrives. Why good people suffer and wicked people prosper. It doesn't make sense to us. And it will never make sense to us. It makes us want to throw up our hands and say, Vanity, vanity, all is vanity and a striving after wind. It doesn't make sense. And it will never make sense to us. Except that one day it will. Human wisdom is limited. But divine wisdom is unlimited. How do we keep going in this world full of hell, this world full of vanity, where even wisdom cannot give us all of the answers that we want? How do we keep going? The preacher tells us two things. He gives us two things to do. Trust and obey. Trust and obey. See, in a world where our wisdom, the failure of human wisdom to figure it all out, frustrates us. It makes us angry. We lament that we cannot understand what is happening under the sun. The failure of human wisdom to figure it all out, brothers and sisters, is actually a very good thing and a blessing to us. If we could know all of the answers, we would have no reason to trust. Because our wisdom is limited and we can't have all the answers, God calls us not to have the answers to questions, but to have a relationship with the God who created us. The failure of human wisdom to figure it all out is a good thing and a blessing to us because it calls us into a trust relationship with God because human wisdom has limitations, but divine wisdom has no limitations. And the preacher calls us to trust in the wisdom of the God who gives us life and breath and everything else. So there's this progression in Ecclesiastes where the preacher looks at the world and laments how everything is. And then he pursues ways to figure it out, including wisdom. And he finds that he can't figure it out. And so he looks upward to the Lord And he learns that uh, even though he can't figure it all out, that that wisdom is still beneficial. And so we need that to, to navigate and to enjoy life. But he finds that wisdom is insufficient, that ultimately we're going to need faith. Ecclesiastes leads us from lament over the situation under the sun to faith in the God who rules and knows all. We're called to trust to trust God for his provision. Verse 15, And I commend joy, for man has nothing better under the sun but to eat and drink and be joyful, for this will go with him in his toil through the days of his life that God has given him under the sun. This is a call from the preacher to trust the Lord. To trust the Lord on what basis? Well, who has given to you life? God, the very fact that you're breathing and that your heart is beating and that your brain is working right now is because God has granted by his sheer grace and love all of those things to you. You are sustained today. You have food and drink and blessings in your life today because God has lavished them on you in the richness of his grace. God, who has provided for you, will provide for you. But here's a mistake that we often make. One, we make the mistake of thinking that what we think we need is what God should provide. No, God does not promise us that he will provide what we want or what we think that we need. He only promises to provide what we need, sufficient for the day, which is why we pray for our daily bread. The second mistake that we make is that we trust the Lord only to provide in the material sense. When actually, what the preacher is really getting at here is that God's provision in the material sense calls us into a deeper trust in God for the spiritual things that we need. He says, I commend joy. Are you trusting the Lord to provide the joy that you need today? The peace, the patience, the goodness, the kindness. The gentleness the faithfulness, the self-control. The scriptures tell us that these things don't arise from within us, that we don't manufacture the things we need to get through the day. They are called the fruit of the Spirit, that because of God's indwelling Spirit, we have been given every spiritual blessing in Christ. So God will provide for us materially, but much more importantly, He will provide for us spiritually, and we can trust His provision. Whatever He has given to us materially, we can find joy in our lives. Trust God for his provision. Obey God for your good. Obey God for your good. Trust God for his provision. Obey God for your good. Verses two through five. I say, keep the king's command because of God's oath to him. Be not hasty to go from his presence. Do not take your stand in an evil cause, for he does whatever he pleases. For the word of the king is supreme, and who may say to him, What are you doing? Whoever keeps a command will know no evil thing, and the wise heart will know the proper time and the just way. Obey God for your good. Here, the preacher uses the example of a king. And the scriptures tell us that every authority has been ordained by God. And so we are so to submit to authorities in places where our human authorities are not in conflict with God's authority and God's commands. We're to obey our human authorities to pay them respect and taxes and everything else that is due to them. Why? Because of them? Because of their justice? Because of their righteousness? Because of their goodness? No, but because of God's. And so here's the thing, that's not easy for us to do. Our rulers, whether that be at the governmental level or uh, in our work or in our homes and families, are imperfect people. They are sinful people with limited perceptions and limited wisdom, right? They're going to make mistakes. They're going to fail us. Some of them will even be wicked. It's hard to honor and to obey someone who we don't believe has our best interest at heart. And yet, it's right here where the limitations of our wisdom meet the infinity of God's wisdom. We can trust the Lord in what He has done in our lives so that we can always make the choice to do the next right thing, to obey what His Word has revealed to us and trust Him completely with the consequences. When we obey God, whether in earthly terms, the consequences are good or ill, when we obey the Lord, the result is always and only for our good. Trust God for his provision. Obey God for your good. And lastly, trust God. Trust, obey, trust. Trust God for your eternity. Verse 13. I'm sorry, verse 12. Though a sinner does evil a hundred times and prolongs his life, yet I know that it will be well with those who fear God because they fear before Him. Y'all, I realize that we are living in one of the hardest times that in recent modern human history, we who live in this part of the world have ever experienced. That there are daily challenges, both external and internal, that lie heavy on us. Amen? That we have questions that have no immediate answers. That if you are like me, we are struggling in many ways. And when we look at not just COVID and the season that we are in, but all of life, we find the same things that the preacher observes, that our troubles lie heavy on us, that, that death is inescapable reality that we all face, that injustice Happens all the time. That justice is delayed. That men use power over men to their hurt. We observe all of these things. We lament all of these things. We grieve the sinfulness and the darkness and the brokenness of the world. And as we look at all of that and we consider the limitations of our wisdom, and we consider the The fact that divine wisdom has no limitations. How do we know? How do we know in navigating this world under the sun that God can be trusted? How do we know that God can be trusted? Brothers and sisters, this table shows us that God can be trusted that divine wisdom can be trusted. When we come to the the limitations of our own wisdom and knowledge, we acknowledge God who knows all and has demonstrated His trustworthiness in this. Every promise that He ever made has found its yes and amen in the person and the work of our Lord Jesus Christ that our God, from the time that our first parents, Adam and Eve, turned away from Him in the garden and He pronounced the curse, He promised redemption. The seed of the woman will crush the head of the serpent. God was not content to leave His people in the consequences of their sins in the fall and the curse and the death and the hell and the condemnation that we deserve. No, God came for us. And He can be trusted. Christ came for us, and he can be trusted because he obeyed God's law perfectly every day of our lives so that his righteous record could become ours because we fail every day of our lives to keep it. He went to the cross and died in our place, the death that we deserved. He received the condemnation and faced the justice that we deserved for our rebellion against a holy God. And He rose again from the dead so that He could secure for us our own resurrection and eternal life with Him. Brothers and sisters, we do not have all the answers now. L- wisdom has limitations, but one day... One day, because God is trustworthy, and because God is sovereign, and because God is all-wise, we will have all of the answers that we so desire. And brothers and sisters, when we see the Lord, the Scriptures tell us that He will wipe away every tear from our eyes. If you are like me, you have wept over our current circumstances. And the scriptures tell us that God our Father will validate that. That he will acknowledge our sorrow. That he will affirm that the world that we lived in was hard and broken and dark. But what he will do when we see him is he will reveal to us what he was doing through it all. And that he will show us that if The darkest moment in human history when we crucified the very Son of God could be the greatest breaking of light into creation that ever was and the crushing of our enemy forever. Then even our suffering and our sorrow and our death has meaning. We may not have access to it now, but because of what Christ has done for us with his broken body and his shed blood, we will have answers one day to the praise of his glorious grace. And this table tells us the story of the Savior who came to save sinners. Let's ask the Lord's blessing on our time together around his table. Heavenly Father, we thank you for sending Christ our Savior. Lord Jesus Christ, we thank you For your obedience to the will of the Father. To be crushed for our iniquities. Thank you that it is by your wounds that we are healed. Lord Jesus, thank you for taking the weight of the justice that stood against us. So that there is now no condemnation for those who are in you by faith. Holy Spirit, we thank you. That you minister to us in our hearts, proclaiming to us through this table the truth of the gospel and testifying to our spirits that through the work of Christ we are the very children of God. Thank you that this is to us a means of grace by which you nourish us and strengthen us that we might go out into the world and trust you and to allow our obedience to flow from that trust. Oh, Lord, I pray that you would, in this time, take these common elements that will remain common elements, just bread and juice, but that you would set them aside for a holy purpose, that in this moment we might be spiritually feeding on you, Jesus, our Savior, so that we might be strengthened in our faith in our trust, and strengthened in our resolve and our endeavor to new obedience, today and in the days to come. Thank you for preparing this table before us, O Lord. Bless us through it, we pray expectantly. In Jesus' name, amen.